So this morning, we're going to go ahead and continue on in our uh, topic or our series of who we are as a church. So over the last eight weeks, this will be the ninth week that we've talked about basically our core values, the culture of who we are as a church here at Living Hope Family Church. And if you've missed any of the past eight, um, they're all made available online. Just go to our website, livinghopefamilychurch.org, and uh, you can listen to any of them that you've missed if you would like to hear them. Um, but this morning, we are going to talk about that we are a people who are generous. And the truth is, being generous is an important character trait for a Christian. How many of you guys know that? Being generous is something that we should be as Christians. As a result of, of having a generous spirit inside of us, then we should be givers. And I'm not just referring to the tithe. And you guys can rest assured, we're not going to receive another offering after the service. That's not what this is about. But the truth is, is that the tithe isn't, isn't the only part of being generous as a Christian. It's true that we are generous with our money, and we should be. The truth is, God gave you everything that you have. Giving back to Him is really not that, that big of a sacrifice. But we're also to be generous with much more than our money. We're to be generous with our possessions. We're to be generous with our love. We are to be generous with our compassion. We're to be generous with our mercy. And maybe the most difficult of all, the hardest thing, I think, that it's to be generous with is with our time. Because the truth is, we don't have as much time as we'd all like. You know, I always tell people, if I just had four more hours in a day, I would just need four more hours in a day right after that. Because the truth is, is you would fill it up and you need some time is important. Time is valuable. The reality is, is that giving money is about the easiest thing that you can give because you can always get more money. You can't get more time. So time is valuable. But the truth is, is that we are made in the image of God. How many of you guys know that in his image we were made, right? And that means the characteristics of God have been placed inside of us. Now, God is a generous God. He is the most generous that we can even imagine. If we look at what he gave in his son, he gave everything. He didn't hold anything back. He didn't say, I want to hold back a little bit for me. He gave everything in his son, and he gave his life for us. God's generosity is unmatched. And if God is generous and we are made in his image, that's one of the characteristics that we have. And you say, well, Pastor Wayne, that's just not me. I'm just not that giving of a guy. I'm just not, that's just not who I am. Well, I want you to know that when you got saved, when you were born again, when the Spirit of God came to live inside of you, you were made brand new. Who you used to be, that guy that was selfish, that girl that didn't want to give up anything, the person that only thought about themselves, they're, they're dead and gone. You are a brand new person. You have his Spirit inside of you. As a result, you are generous. The truth is, though, is if you're, if, you're, if you're a stingy person, if you look at them, the reality is they're never really happy. There's no, there's no joy in, in keeping everything to yourself. Now, when you give to, to somebody, when you go to help somebody to be a part of their life, we don't do it for the joy. We do it out of love. But man, does it feel good to give? Does it feel good to invest in somebody's life? And now the one thing that everybody's hearing right now as I'm talking about giving is I'm saying, you should be generous. And you guys are all hearing, he wants me to give more money. And that's what everybody hears when we talk. That's why it's such a touchy subject. Because everyone's concerned about the you know, churches. and They just want more money. And my pastor used to have a saying that I loved. And he says, I don't just want your money. I want your house. I want your kids. I want your wife. I want all your, your possessions. I want everything for the kingdom of God. 
And that's the thing is that, that, that God owns it all and our lives should be devoted to Him. I read a quote this morning that said that God didn't just invite us to be believers, but He invited us to be participators in His kingdom. And, and stuff is part of it. But to get the money stuff out of the way, let me just tell you a few things. Did you know that Jesus talked about money more than He did heaven or hell? Jesus talked about money more than he did heaven and hell. If you've got a problem with, with dealing with money in our lives as Christians, take it up with Jesus. Jesus talked about money more than, get this, than love. If you look in the Scriptures and you count the times up, Jesus talked about money more than love. Jesus talks about money more than anything else in the New Testament except for the kingdom of God. So many parables deal with money. Did you know that one out of every seven verses in the Gospel of Luke talks about money? That means that money is important to God. You want to know why money is important to God? It's not because He needs it. I got, I got a newsflash for you. God doesn't need money. He can make, make deal with money however He wants to deal with it. But it's about your heart. Because especially in our day and age, we put money as, as, our, as our God, as our king. We look to it. We're so concerned about it. That's why so many people, when the stock market crashed, everything crashed in that depression, there were people that committed suicide because their 401ks depleted because they were more focused on their financial stuff than looking at him who provides everything. Amen? The reality is, is that, that you know, the, the church, or even I, I don't need your money. God's taken care of me for a long time before I started this church, and He's going to make sure He's going to take care of me a long time after. The truth is, is, as you guys all know, I work full time. I volunteer for this. God takes care of me, and God doesn't need your money either. But it is important for your own internal growth to understand that He takes precedence over money and really everything that we have to give. Amen? Giving and being generous is all about you. In Acts 4, 32 through 35, it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord. Jesus and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands, or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. You know, this has actually got me thinking when I was reading this scripture, because when I read this, it's so foreign to us, particularly in the United States. How many of you, when you got saved, were like, maybe I should just sell everything and give it to the church? Did anybody think that way? I sure as heck didn't. Did you? <laughs> not, not me. I mean, it took me. A, the, you know, they say that the last thing on a person to get saved is their wallet. But that, that happened for me. I, I wasn't ready to give up everything up for the church. But you look at what was happening with them. They were being saved and they were like, you know what? The, the kingdom of heaven is more important to me than my own personal stuff. And they were selling stuff. They were selling their, their houses. They were selling their land to make sure that everyone was taken care of. Now, I'm not standing here this morning telling you that you should sell everything and give it to the church. But I do think you should make sure that God is your priority and not your stuff. Amen? 
But these people were different than they are now. These people are different than, we, than anybody who lives in this world today. The world of today is really an attitude of selfishness and self-preservation. And that's not even from a Christian point of view. You can just look at every ad that you see. What is the goal of every ad? Is to convince you that if you buy my product, that you will feel better, that you will be looked upon more highly, that you will, will solve some problem in your life. It's all about you. Nobody ever asked you to buy a product so you can help somebody else. It's always about you. But these people were different, and I wondered why are they so different? but I think it's because they were different. These people got saved, and they got saved radically. Something happened inside of them, actually the same thing that happened in every single one of us. They had a brand new spirit inside of them. And the only problem is they weren't concerned about the world around them. They were just going to let Jesus live through them no matter what it took. Because God is generous. John 3.16, we all know that, right? God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God gave up everything. God is a generous God. And these people were being made in his image. 1 John 3.1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. He invited us into his family, into his kingdom, and he adopted us in as sons and daughters. But our initial instinct, and, and really that's, it's, it's what's been taught to us, the truth is most of us, even as Christians, teach it to our kids and we don't even realize it. You know, we were teaching them to look out for number one. Make sure that you're getting taken care of. If you don't like something, then, then get out of there. We teach it in relationships, you know. We, we tell women, 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 that's both of you guys, ladies and men. We tell women and men, you know, that if, if they're not treating you right, if they're not doing anything, you know, it's all about you. You need to make sure that you're taken care of. When truthfully, marriage is about sacrificing and loving one another. That means sometimes to make my wife happy, I'll do stuff that I don't like. And it means that more often than I do it, she does stuff she doesn't like to make me happy because my wife is a much better spouse than I am. And I'm a very, very lucky man. You wrote this down, right? That's brownie points? I mean, she's... That wasn't even going to be spoken today if you weren't sitting out here. <laughs> Hallelujah. The truth is, in our brokenness, without Jesus, we're selfish. I was having a, a talk with my son the other day, is, and, and, you know, when he, when he does stuff, and one of the things right now, he's staying at home, and, and, and my son's a great kid. I love him. But sometimes I come home and I'm like, what did you do productive today? What did you do in the house? I mean, you didn't do anything. So I finally had to sit him down. And because, and, you know, for me, at my point, I'm like, look, if you guys, if you can't get this under wraps, like no computer, no YouTube, none of that, this stuff's getting cut off. You know, and I don't even have to, I'm an IT guy. I don't even have to be home. I can start cutting this stuff off from my work. Like, I know how to do this. And uh, he, he says, I, I said, son, do you know why? that this is important, why, why we deal with this. And the truth is, I don't like to ground you. I don't like to have your life be hard. I don't like you to be home bored during summer. But I look back at my life, and I saw how selfish I was as a kid. And I remember my, my mom and my sister would tell me it's selfish, and I didn't even see myself as selfish. I didn't understand it. It wasn't until I can look back now that I see how much I really was, but I don't want that for my son. I don't want him to live that life. I don't want him to be that kind of man. I want my son to look like Jesus. 
And that's why we do that. But, but it's, it's, it's in us to be selfish if we don't deal with that stuff, if we don't let Jesus live through us. But the truth is, in Jesus, we are selfless. Because it's no longer about us, but it's about the one who lives inside of us. It's about the one who, when we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that miracle happened inside of us. We were a brand new person. And it's not longer who we used to be, but we put on the new self every morning. That's what it says in the book of Ephesians, that you put on the new self. And your new self is selfless. Your new self is loving. Your new self is compassionate and giving and caring, because that's who Jesus is inside of you. We just have to let him live through us. Amen? The truth is, is that the real power of sin is it keeps us looking at ourselves. That's the real power of sin. Even now, as a Christian, if you sin, you just need to thank God that you're forgiven. Don't sit there and beat yourself up. Don't sit there and and think about how bad you are because that's sin getting you to stop looking at the one who gave it all for you, but instead to look at yourself. Don't let sin make you look inward. Always keep your eyes looking outward. Amen? In Matthew 6, 24, it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. How many know that says, doesn't say you probably cannot serve God in money? It says you can't serve God in money. Why is generosity so important to God? Because he doesn't need our money. The the scripture says that he has the cattle on top of a thousand hills. Everything in this world belongs to him. Even our ability to make money, God gave to us. You know, in the, the, the scripture that says he has a cattle on a thousand hills, that's that, you know, sometimes when you got to think of the perspective that they're coming from. Like, we live in a world where we can start to see bigger numbers. We understand that there's seven billion people that live on this earth. A thousand hills, you're like, that's not that very much cattle. I mean, even if that was that, that what's that, that, that uh, super expensive Japanese beef? What's that called? Oh, they sell it at, uh, I can't remember the name of the burger shop. But you know, the ones where they, they, What's it called? Did you have it? Kobe. Even if it was a thousand Kobe cattle on top of it, that's still not that much money. That's a crazy... You guys know how they do Kobe beef? At least the, the way they do it. From what I understand, they suspend these cows so they never actually put any real weight on their legs, and they have people that massage them all day long. That's, that's, what, the, that's what their job is, to massage the cow. My wife's like, man, that doesn't seem like a bad gig. I could be a Kobe beef. <laughs> <laughs> but they're, they're hung and they're massaged. Yeah, if you knew my wife, she lives for massages. I don't get it. But, but it's super expensive. But even if there was a thousand of them, a, cow, a thousand hills full, that's not that much. But you have to understand that, that what that meant to them was, was infinite. That's what we see as infinite. You know, the reality is, is that he was saying that it all belongs to God. He doesn't need our money. But the truth is, is the things that we are unwilling to give control up of will have control over us. If you're unwilling to let it go, it controls your life. It dictates everything that you do. And anything that you put before God has a hold on you, and ultimately it will let you down. 
It's not going to complete you. It's not going to make you whole. And it's not going to carry you on through the rest of your life. And it doesn't even have to be money. It's anything that you put your hope in. It's anything that you trust more than God. For some people, it's money. For some people, it's their job. For some people, it's their friends. For some people, it's their, you know, what, what gives them the, the, the status boost. For some people, it's church stuff. You know, you can put Christian music or church programs ahead of God when you get wrapped up in the stuff of it instead of understanding why we're doing all these things in the first place. But anything that you put first above God will disappoint you. Wives, I got a newsflash for you. If you put your husband before God, he's going to disappoint you. Look at all the amen. I know that's true. The truth is, is that, that, that people let people down. But God will never let you down. But anything you put in front of God has a control of it. It has a hold over you. If you put your job first, it's going to disappoint you. I know that firsthand in many, many occasions. I used to work for Frito-Lay, and I thought that to be a good husband and to be a good father, what that meant was financially providing for your family. Many men of you men out there are thinking the same thing. That's my number one priority is to financially provide for my family. Now, it's true. You do need to do that. But when it becomes your ultimate goal, it can take you away from what is also important in your family. It can make it where you are not leading your family spiritually. That you're not loving your family like you should. So I worked for Frito-Lay. I was working like 60, 65 hours a week on a regular week. And then if it was a holiday, sometimes we were working seven, uh, seven eight days. It was that bad. We worked eight days a week. And it was, it was rough. It was busy. And I would work, you know, from three in the morning till six at night. And when you work those kind of hours, you come home and you just go to sleep. And I didn't realize that I thought I was doing the right thing because I was providing for my family. I made a pretty good living and uh, I thought I was doing everything right. And then I got hurt and I ended up messing up my elbow. And I, I, I woke up the next morning and I, I couldn't like move. It just wouldn't move. Uh, something had tightened up or whatever. So I called them and, and uh, wasn't able to work for a couple weeks. Now, my son is was he maybe a year old at the time, if that. And, you know, when I would come home, my son never ran up to me. He always wanted mama. And I thought, well, that's normal. Kids, you know, want their mama. That's, that's just totally normal for him not to, to want to come to me instead for want her. But when I was home for two weeks and he saw me every day for two weeks, towards the, the second week, he began to come to me. He began to run to me. He began to want to spend time with me. And I began to realize what I had missed out on all these years because I put my job first in front of my family, in front of God. I began to miss out on all these things. And what I had put first, my job, began to control me and dictate everything that I did. And it was ruining my family. I found out later that my wife almost left me during that time. And we sure as heck weren't serving Jesus at this time. Life wasn't going great. But thanks be to, to Jesus Christ who came and he turned our lives around and we made him the focus of our marriage. We made him the focus of our lives and our jobs and God turned everything around for us. Amen? If we don't want to be disappointed, we have to put God first in our lives. Matthew 6, 34 says, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. 
Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In verse 25, Jesus starts this by saying, don't be anxious about life. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Instead, put your trust in God. Let Him deal with the stuff and focus on today. Put Him first. And if we put God first, above everything else in our lives, the great news is, is He doesn't leave us wanting. He doesn't leave us with lack. But it says if we will put first the kingdom of heaven, then all these things will be added to us. Amen? In 1 Timothy 6, 18-19, it says, They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So if serving money or ourselves is the wrong way to do it, how do we go about doing the right thing? Well, we teach people to do the right thing. This is Paul telling Timothy how to teach his people. And this is an area that's difficult as a pastor because you start talking about people's money, there is no better way to make somebody angry than start talking about money. There's two things up here that I, I, I feel awkward preaching about. The first one's money and the other one's sex. And the truth is, is that we have to teach about all those things because it's mentioned in the Bible. We had like three weeks in a row as we were going over the book of 1 Corinthians and I'm like, there's teenagers in here and I'm talking about... This, and it makes you feel awkward, but it still has to be taught. You know, so we do have to teach about money and how a believer should treat his money, and, and really not just his money, but everything that they have. And so if we're not to act that way, we have to teach something different. And this is what Paul told Timothy to be teach, be teaching his people. And he says, tell them that they are to do good, to be rich in good works. So that means you're supposed to do good works. Now, those good works will never save you. You don't do good works to get saved. But once you get saved and you're made brand new, out of that should flow naturally doing good works. It should flow naturally because you've been changed. You're not who you used to be. And he says to be generous and ready to share. And then he says when you do that, you're going to be storing up treasure for yourselves as a good foundation for the future. As I said, teaching about this stuff can be awkward at times. That's why I try to make jokes and let it be funny so that way you guys forget about what I just said for a moment. But even as we're talking about this stuff, you know, most of, many of you probably started to feel uncomfortable. And that happens for two reasons. One, you're, you get uh, uh, upset about you know, someone asking for money. The other reason is the Holy Spirit begins to convict you and makes you realize that, you know what, this is scriptural. It's not about the pastor. It's not about me. And the truth is, is that we have a very generous church. And I'm so thankful for that, for the hearts of the people who are here, who give regularly, not just to us, but as they're giving to our youth right now, people have been giving regularly to the mission work that we have going on. Uh, we're supporting in Kurdistan of Iraq. You guys are, are very generous, and I'm so thankful for that. But the reality is, is we can't stop there. We have to teach our kids. And I'm going to continue to teach it as well as as awkward as it makes me feel you know and i'm always curious when i talk about this stuff am i going to show up next sunday and have less people sitting out here you know are they going to be offended and think all i want is his money but the truth is is that that being generous like i said doesn't just have to do with money when we're supposed to be to do good to be rich in good works and ready to generous and ready to share 
it's, it's not just with our money, but it's, it's with our time. You know, the truth is, is that God put us here for a purpose, and we have things to do, and that requires people. If we're going to reach this city for Jesus Christ, that, involves, that requires people getting involved and giving their time. And I know time is valuable. And I never take it flippantly when people offer it. I'm so thankful for it. But it doesn't stop there either, not just money and time, but we need to be generous with our praise as well. Who are you supporting? Who are you encouraging? Who are you lifting up? Because we should be generous with our encouragement as well. Generous with our knowledge. Do you have anybody that you're, that you're teaching, that you're having walk underneath you as a disciple? Are you pouring in to them, teaching them about Jesus Christ, helping them to grow into the measure and the stature that is Jesus Christ? And we need to be generous with our love, particularly for one another. As I've always said, church, we're a family. And when you put God first, you can overlook a lot of the stuff that happens. Because there's times that, that we irritate each other. We get on each other's nerves. We get upset. I'm like, why don't they ever come help? And you guys are like, why is he always trying to ask me to help? And I'm like, how come you know, we're doing this stuff? And you know, we get irritated with each other. Some people have gotten downright mad at me. And I've gotten mad at other people. But the truth is, we're a family. And we continue to love each other. That's why the Scripture says that, that love covers a multitude of sins. You know, as far as forgiveness, Jesus took care of that. But with our relationships with one another, we need to have love for one another if we're going to get through those times. And the closer you get to people, the more angry they can make you, the more upset they can make you. Nobody can make me madder than my wife or my sister. Probably the two closest people to me. But I love them and we work through everything. Because our eyes are on Jesus. And as long as we can keep our eyes on Him, we can get through anything. Amen? In Proverbs eleven twenty four through 25, it says, One gives freely that grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be waters. The truth is, is this principle of, of sowing and reaping is one you'll find all throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament. And it's one of the reasons why we should be generous. The reason why God wants us to be generous is because when we are generous, it is an avenue for Him to bless us. How many of you guys want to be blessed? How many of you guys want to have provision in your life and not have to worry about where the next rent check's coming, where the next food check, you know, enough money for groceries is coming? Begin to trust God and let's see what He'll do in your life. And God's, God's economics are not like our economics. God's financial math doesn't make sense. Because there's, I know when my wife and I decided to, to start giving regularly, there were times when we were like, well, we can either pay rent or we can give. So usually we just wrote both checks and saw what happened. And it was amazing that every time something would come up, Either we would be provided, someone would send, would, you know, we'd get that. I remember one of the biggest times. You remember a few years ago when, when uh, who was it? I think it might have been Bush where he was trying to do all the economic restoration. We kept getting checks like from the government. Like they always came at the right time. And we, we could make our bills. Or we'd have a family member send us some money. Or we'd get a, a you know, it just happened to be that month, our, our, uh, we'd have deposits applied to stuff. So money would come in every way. And it would, it would be amazing. Or sometimes the money wouldn't come in. And the check just wouldn't clear for like an extra week for some reason so we got paid and all of a sudden nothing bounced. God provided for us. 
And that's one of the things that my wife and I uh, don't have any issues with faith, is with giving. We've continued to give. We give as much as we possibly can. And God keeps blessing us so we can give more. There's other areas that it's harder for us in faith. At least for me, particularly healing is an area that I struggle with in faith many times. But not money, because God's always been so faithful. Not that he hasn't been faithful in other areas. But the truth is, is that we continue to trust him. And he's been so faithful with us. But the opposite of this is also true. It's actually not even the opposite. It's the same principle. If you sow generosity, you will receive generously. If you sow stinginess, then you're going to receive stinginess in return. If you sow bitterness, you're going to receive bitterness in return. All those things that we sow, they will come back to us. The one who gives freely grows all the richer. And it's not just money. It's in all of those areas in our lives. Stingy people do not receive what God wants them to receive. And if you think about it, we look at the, the media right now, and we see so many rich and famous people that seem to have everything that they could possibly want. They have the money, they have the cars, they have the, the men or women, they have everything coming in at them, but they're not happy. And we have so many of them committing suicide because those things aren't enough to make you happy. I mean, the whole story, the whole, the whole point of Charles Dickens' novel, The Christmas Story, was about what being stingy does to a person. Funny thing is, we all understand that. Even non-Christians understand that. And there was one time I heard a pastor tell a story about how his house got flooded with nine feet of water. He's a pastor. He's serving God. He's giving regularly. He's honoring God with everything that he had. And his house floods. Nine feet of water. You know what survives nine feet of water? Nothing. Everything's destroyed. Everything's gone. And he didn't understand why God would let this happen to him. God, why would you let this happen to me? I mean, I've been serving you. I've been, and this, it just seemed like such an awful thing. But the generosity of others restored everything that he had lost. His church came together and they made sure that he got a new house. All the stuff was replaced. And through it all, he finally had a complete understanding that all that stuff is just stuff. It didn't mean anything. God could replace it as long as we keep our eyes on him. Luke 6.38 says, Given that it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together running over, and it will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. It just goes on to say the more that it's the same principle of reaping and, and sowing. And just like when you sow one seed into a field, it, turns, it returns 1,000 or 1,000 fold seeds. The same is true in our own life. And it says it'll be given to you good measure and then pressed down, shaken together. You know, I always think about baking. I always see in my head, when I was growing up, my mom showed me how to scoop out flour and also brown sugar were the two things that we packed down. But we would use a, a measuring cup. And, you know, you would take and you would kind of tap it so it would shrink down. And if you, needed, if you needed brown sugar for reals, you get on there and you're mashing that stuff down in there as much as you could fit inside that cup. That's what you're saying. Is whatever you give, it's going to be given back. Except for if you use a, you know, a half cup measuring and pour it out. When it comes back to you, it's going to be pressed down. It's going to be shaken so everything fits together perfectly. The most that could fit in there. And on top of that, it's going to be running over as it's given back to you. But it says, for your measure, 
For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. That means that if you want to have a lot of blessing in your life, give a lot of blessing. If you want to have a lot of love in your life, give a lot of love. If you want to have financial security and peace in your life, give money away. I know it doesn't make any sense, but it's true. God, God's economy doesn't work like ours. And the question you can ask me is, well, Pastor Wayne, do you really believe this? I mean, it just seems like a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. It doesn't seem like it makes any sense. I'm doing the math on paper, and it doesn't work out. But the reality is, church, is that I do believe this. And I practice this daily. I have given joyfully and faithfully for years now because I believe so much in this. And God has always been faithful back to me. I've given money, I've given time, I've given cars, I've bought people guitars. I've given all kinds of things to people because God has blessed me. And the great thing is, is He keeps blessing me more and I get to keep doing it over and over and over again. I'm so thankful that I can continue to be a blessing into people's lives. But the truth is, is I've never outgiven God. And this isn't some sort of spiritual investment plan. I don't give because I'm trying to receive. That's just a side benefit. God always makes sure I'm taken care of. I give because He gave everything to me. How can I not be generous when He gave so much? How can I not pour into other people when He poured so much into me? It's a natural response. If I were to take any one of you out to lunch, and I know this is true because it's happened you guys are always thinking about, well, when's the time I can take him out to pay him back? It's a natural response in you guys as well. When somebody gives to you, you want to give back. The problem is that so many times we, we suppress or become jaded to what God has given to us and we stop wanting to give back. But if you will give, he will return it to you more than you can ever think. 1 John 3.17 says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? The truth is, as Christians, we should have a desire to help those around us. We should have a desire to make sure that they're taken care of. Many of you guys have heard the story of, of how God has been dealing with my heart on dealing with people that beg on the side of the street. And the, the short form of this story is, because I think I even told it last week, is that, that basically I felt that there was a homeless man that I had given money, take advantage of me. And I, I was really upset because I felt like he took advantage of my generosity. And, I, and for years, I stopped giving money, period. I just didn't give money. But then God began to work on my heart, and I began to realize that I would rather be taken advantage of nine times but one time make sure the person that needed got it, than to never be taken advantage of, but miss the opportunity to help somebody that actually needed my help. When we see people that are in need, we should have a desire to help them, particularly in the church. Not just the church, but in the church for sure. If somebody's struggling, you know, we should be helping one another. It actually shouldn't be the church's responsibility corporately, but individually. We should, you know, someone's struggling with, with buying groceries or paying the light bill, and you have the means to help them out, write a check for crying out loud. It's not that big of a deal. You can get more money. We can help people and be generous. And the great thing is, is God will always repay it. 
But that's the question that John asks. He says, if you see one of your brothers in need and, and you have the means and you don't help them, how does God's love abide in you? If it does abide in you, sure as heck ain't letting it out. And <clears throat> Luke 10, 30 through 35. We're going to begin to see what generosity in action looks like. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. This is a parable of how we ought to love our neighbor, right? And what was the end of this? Who was the guy's neighbor? It was the Samaritan. The interesting thing is, is we have, we have two religious folks walking down the road. We have the priest and we have the Levite. And, you know, they're, the, these people are ones that should be looking out for people. They should have the love of God flowing to them. And they pass by this man who was beat up on the side of the road. And this Samaritan comes around. And you've got to understand the history of this is the Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. And it wasn't like a, 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 we kind of don't like them. This was an intense hatred for one another. This was like the Hatfields and the McCoys. This was like the, the, the Montagues and the Capulets. This was like we didn't come together. We didn't, you know, there, were, there was no, they hated each other. Yet this Samaritan sees a Jewish man on the side of the road and he goes and he, he binds up his wounds and he takes them and makes sure that he is taken care of. The question I ask you, church, is who are we willing to be generous to? Who are we willing to pray for? Who are we willing to make sure that they're taken care of? The people that are unlovely in this society, the people that, that don't smell right, who wear bad clothes, you know, all those things that we can put stuff in our mind and say that, that they shouldn't be worthy or we don't want to bother. But the truth is, is that we should be generous with all people, amen? And that's what Jesus taught us. Another example is in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5, and he says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, and as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So this is the, the, the Macedonian churches wanted to send and help the poor of those back in Jerusalem. And they were in, it says they were in poverty. They had nothing and they still came up with something to send to take, take care of these people who were in poverty themselves. And we see this all throughout 
the, the, the Bible, people being generous, the people being required to be, particularly in the New Testament, is we're supposed to be generous. We're supposed to love and take care of people. And I love this story because so many of us, we, we say we want to be generous to God, but we, we put a limit on it because we think that we don't have enough. We don't have the resources. We don't have, you know, if we give, we're going to be without, or we just may not physically have it at all. But these people were in a severe test of affliction, and they had extreme poverty. There's not a person in this church that is in extreme poverty. There's not a person, very few people, if any at all, in the city of Marana that are in extreme poverty. There's a few in Tucson. But I don't think we have all that many homeless people in Marana either. There's a few that might be considered in extreme poverty. But they give. You know, I was just watching a, uh, a story on YouTube and uh, many times these guys will go out and they're basically seeing what the character of people are. So this kid walks up to this homeless man and he's sitting there and he's got a bike and he's, you, know, you can tell he's obviously homeless. And he walks up to the guy and uh, he's dressed pretty well and he says, you know what, I, uh, I lost my wallet and I, I need money for it. I can't remember what it was for, it was something trivial. And the guy's like, you sure you don't have anything? He's asking the homeless man, you sure you don't have anything that you can help me? You sure you don't have anything that can... And I was like, I'm so sorry, I don't have anything. He's like, man, I have to get... I have to get to, and I forget where it was, but I have to get back to this place and I don't have any money and I just need some money to... You know, so the homeless guy says, you know what? Let me see, I have an idea. Let me see what I can do. So he takes off on his bike and he rides off. So the kid who's sitting there, you know, they got the cameras rolling and they're just waiting. And sometime later, the guy runs back up to him he says here i got i got 20 bucks for you man go ahead and get to where you need to be going and the guy's like wait a minute where did you get this he goes where's your bike the homeless man went and pawned his bike to help this kid that's in this man's extreme poverty he gave up the one thing that he had to travel around he gave up almost everything that he had for someone who just lost their wallet that's the kind of generous heart that i want to have now when this was all said and done the guy gives his money back and says go buy your bike back and he says what can i do for you and he says well i'm trying to the homeless man all, all he was trying to do is get back east somebody had promised him a job if he could just get there he just wanted to work but in, in his extreme poverty none of us have given like that But that's the heart that I desire to have because that's what God gave like that to me. The end of the story is he gave the guy, it was going to cost him 250 bucks for a train ticket back. So he gave him 250 for the train ticket and gave him another 250 um, to help him get across the way. So thank God they were going to help this homeless man out. But I was blown away by the heart that this man had when he gave out of his extreme poverty and he overflowed in generosity. But I do have a, a word of caution as we're talking about all of this, as we go into this. In Matthew 6, 1-4, through 4, it says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you that they have received the reward but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
The reason I want to bring this up is, as I'm talking about this, some of you might even start to begin feeling a little guilty. And you begin to start having a sense of obligation or a sense of duty. That should never be the reason why we give. We should never give out of duty or obligation. We give out of the love that's been given towards us. He says, and we never do it to get praise from somebody else either. If you're doing this so that people will think highly of you, you got the wrong motives as well. Being generous, as we talked about this this morning, and we're talking about uh, your tithes and offerings, we're talking about money that you give to other people, we're talking about your time, all of those things. Being generous in any of these things will not get you into heaven. I can tell you that right now, the only thing that will get you into heaven is having Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. So if you never give another thing, that's not compromising on your ability to get into heaven. But I would challenge you, if you've been changed on the inside, if you really receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we should see a difference in you. But being generous is not about promotion. It's not about getting high up. It's not about looking good. And it's, it's not, like I said, some sort of supernatural investment system. This isn't the, the holy stock market that we're investing into. We do it out of love because He has loved us so much. But if you're generous just for a pat on the back and you've already received your reward, that pat on the back is your reward. That's why he says do it in secret. The truth is, church, we should just love people. And part of loving people is making sure that they're taken care of. Amen? And we'll go ahead and finish it here. In Matthew 25, 31 through 40, it says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left. And the King will say to those on His right, Come on, you who are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared from you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison, and visit you. And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Church, I want you to know that when you are being generous, that you are being generous to Jesus. When you're doing it to the least of these, you did it to him. So I would challenge you this morning, and, and it is part of our culture as a church. It's who we are. We're a people who are generous. And if you're not, I would challenge you to be so. And I want you to know that God will always take care of you and make sure that you have everything that you need. But keep your eyes on Him and let that flow out of you. Amen? Amen. Let's go and stand to our feet.